We turn our attention now to uh, words of life. That's what uh, Jesus says his words are for us. We're uh, spending some time working through what I call the coronavirus fog, right? This sense that everything is so different and, and every little thing takes so much more mental effort than ever that it's easy to forget what our identity is. It's easy to forget our mission as a church. It's easy to forget our purpose as the people of God because we're trying so hard just to get through the next thing. And um, we're doing that. We're fighting through that fog by focusing on Jesus at key moments in John's gospel. Today's scripture reading, we're, we're going to be looking, seeing Jesus in the upper room. He's just shared his final meal before his arrest and crucifixion with his disciples. It's his last night with them before his death. So John chapter 13 verse 1 tells us that uh, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And so he takes time in John's gospel, several chapters, saying to his disciples, these are my priorities for you. This is what matters most to me and what I want to matter most to you as this new era of world history comes about as a result of my death and resurrection. And so with his crucifixion only hours away, Jesus gives a new commandment. Let's listen to today's scripture reading. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So, you have three options. Three and only three. Always, no matter what, no matter who, you have three options. Anytime you interact with another person, you have three options. The first is hatred. Anytime you're interacting with someone, no matter how deep the interaction or how superficial the interaction, no matter how long it lasts or whether it's come and gone just like that your first option is hatred your first option is to consider this other person what would be good for them what what is most consistent with their well-being consider that and do just the opposite that's hatred right got an opportunity to be good to someone instead i'm going to do harm to them that's your first option what's your second option well your second option is apathy the second option, approaching any person, any situation, any relationship, is to say, hmm, I'm not even going to bother thinking about what's good or bad for this person. I'm not even going to give it my time and attention. I really don't care. Or I know what would be good for this person in this situation, but mm, I can't be bothered. That's your second option. Consider only yourself. 
ignore what's best for the well-being or what would lead to the harm of other people. Apathy. Well, you're smart folks. You can predict what the third option is going to be, right? A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another. Every situation, every relationship, no matter how long it lasts, no matter how deep it goes, no, how, no matter how superficial it might be, these are our options. And I hate this person, just ignore this person, apathy, or I'm going to consider what would be best for this person, their well-being, and I'm going to desire it. I'm going to passionately pursue it. I'm going to cherish it. Drawing here on a definition of love by a pastor named Tony Evans. Pastor Evans is a little bit older than I am. So if you're in your 30s, <clears throat> you may have heard of Pastor Tony Evans. Pastor's a church in the Dallas area. He says, biblical love is a decision to compassionately, responsibly, and righteously pursue the well-being of another person. Considering that person's well-being and cherishing it enough to decide, I want to do something about it. I want to pursue what's best for this person. I want to do what's good to this person. I want to do what would encourage this person, help them to flourish, help their day to go that much better. We have three options. Hatred, apathy, love. Jesus says, among his followers, only one of these is available to us. And he says, love one another. I want to be really clear. Other scripture passages focus on love for neighbor. Just sort of an indiscriminate love for anybody we come across. There are other parts of the Bible where that would be the clear message. Love everyone. Love your neighbor. There are places in scripture that talk about a specific love for the stranger. Showing hospitality. Hospitality is another word for love of stranger. And there are parts of Scripture that talk to us about loving our enemies. This part of Scripture, here in John 13, Jesus is with his disciples. And he is saying, I want you to think about how you're going to interact with each other inside the Christian community. There are other places and other times where he talks about love for those who aren't part of the Christian community. But today he's saying love one another within the community of his followers. There should be this kind of love for each other that then allows us to invite other people into it. That's the point of verse 35, isn't it? By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. The implication is, it's going to be a whole lot easier to invite new disciples into this community if they see that it's the sort of place where you don't come inside and get hated. You don't come into this community and get ignored. This is how people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. One of the ways we can represent that around in town is using our logo. There, there's the full thing. Now I'm going to subtract a little color right? Empty out the inside so that we can focus just on that outer ring of blocks of color. They're different colors. This reminds us that 
that Jesus is drawing to himself a diverse group of people, all kinds of people. And he's making us one body, one community. He calls us to pursue relationships with one another, loving relationships. Sometimes the language we use in our mission statement, our vision statement, our values, is that he calls us to pursue authentic and caring relationships with each other. That's part of who we are because he called us to love one another. And then he uses the love we have for each other to draw more people to himself. It's this cycle. There's a problem with that. It's easy to put it into a symbol. It's easy to capture it in a word. Sometimes the one word we use to do that at Intown is the word known. We're called to be a place where people are known, a place where, where others are pursuing relationship with you, a place where you're not ignored or hated, a place where we love one another. It's easy to say that. It's easy to represent it. In a word or a symbol, it is hard to do it. What would make us want to do something so hard as fighting against our natural tendency toward apathy? What would make us want to do something so hard as swim against the stream of hatred that fills our world? What would make us able to do this? Jesus speaks to that as well, doesn't he? He says, love one another just as I have loved you. Just take a moment and let that sink in. Jesus didn't simply say, love one another. Now my job here is done. You guys have fun with it. Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. My love for you is an already an established fact. It has already happened. It is already a thing. It's already a reality. So before I'm calling you to love one another, I have already loved you. That's an incredibly important pattern about what makes it possible for us to love one another in the Christian community. Because we are loved before we are commanded. Notice that pattern. It runs throughout all of the Bible. Before God gives a single command to Adam and Eve, he has already loved them by creating the perfect world in which they could flourish. Before he tells them to do anything, he's already put oxygen molecules in the air. And he's given them the kind of lungs and respiratory system that can process those molecules and turn them into life. Before he gives them a single commandment, there's already food for them to eat. There's gravity to keep them from floating away from the earth's surface and drifting off into space. Have you ever thought about how physics and biology are just signs of God's love? We are loved before we're commanded. That's the pattern throughout all of Scripture. It's the pattern here you see in the words of Jesus. Love one another just as I have loved you. Our motivation for loving one another isn't because we're awesome people. Our, our motivation for loving one another isn't 
because it's so easy. Our motivation for loving one another is we've had an encounter with someone bigger than we are whose love for us is infinite and won't run out. So we can say, let's love each other. We want to love each other because we have been loved by Jesus. Not only do we want this, we're able to. The person we've had an encounter with is supernatural. And when he loves us, it changes us. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, I am giving you a new motive and a new source of power for loving one another. It's a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. It's a certain kind of pattern, being loved before commanded. And the response to the command is is full of joy because it's preceded by infinite love. One other thing to notice about this commandment is that it sets for us a standard that's real but realistic. Real. Jesus expects a real response to what he's saying. Right? He says, love one another. And then he says in verse 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. There should be enough of a response to this command in our relationships that other people could see something different about us. This is how people will know that you're my disciples. They will see a real response to this command to love one another. Now immediately, this little caution flag goes up in the back of my mind. And it's, it's, it's put up by a referee, and the referee's name is perfectionism. And perfectionism likes to throw up his flag and say, <clears throat> you can't really do that. You guys don't love each other perfectly. I mean, you don't, you don't love the way Jesus did. And so this thing is hopeless from the get-go. I want to argue with perfectionism for a minute, and I want to say, first of all, I don't think Jesus would have told us to do something hopeless. And he definitely told us to love one another. And he assumed that that love would express itself in so real a way that other people could see a difference about the Christian community. So unless my perfectionism is wiser than my Jesus, my perfectionism is wrong. And he just put his flag down. Because this command is real, but it's also realistic. Notice what Jesus says. By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. You will never get so good at loving one another that you cease to be my disciples. You will always be a disciple when it comes to loving. Disciple means learner in Greek. It means student. You will always be student lovers. You will always be apprentice lovers. You will never be so good at loving other people that you can say, we got this. We figured it out. We don't need a master anymore. We can start our own movement. No. By this, other people will see real results. They won't be perfect because you'll always be my disciples. It's a realistic standard. Jesus lives in the real world. He knows real people. He redeems real people. And so he says to us, love one another just as I have loved you. 
And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Jesus is responding to a particular kind of danger here in John chapter 13. It is the danger that we called earlier apathy. One reason I know that is because if you read the whole of the chapter, you recall that as part of the Lord's Supper, Jesus gets up, he takes off his clothing, and he wraps himself in a towel, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And after he does that, he says, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And then he says in chapter 13, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here's Jesus warning his disciples, it is easy to know this without doing anything about it. Blessed are you not if you simply know this, but if you do it. So that danger of apathy, the knowing without any doing, the knowing without caring, the hearing without any intention of acting, that danger is lurking in the upper room. And it's behind what Jesus says about loving one another. Everybody will know you're my disciples if they see some real evidence. If they see apathy, they will assume that you are someone else's disciples. So be really careful. Don't give them reason to get confused about who I am, about who your real master is. If they see you loving one another, they will know that you are my disciples. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Fugitive, Dating Myself. I'm a little bit older than 30. Um, Tommy Lee Jones plays the sort of bad guy, sort of good guy. Harrison Ford is the maybe bad guy, maybe good guy. And so you have this great movie where you're not quite sure who you're cheering for, but you can simultaneously root for the good guy and the bad guy, and it turns out in the end, there's this key moment where the two of them come face to face. And Harrison Ford's character pleads his case, I'm innocent! And Tommy Lee Jones' character stands there and says, Richard, I don't care. Apathy. I just don't care. You can tell me all you want. Not going to impact me. I just don't care. Three options. Could have hated Richard, could have loved Richard. He chose apathy. Just don't care. Here's the danger if we respond that way to Jesus. If we hear Jesus call us to love one another, and our response is, Jesus, I don't care. Then we send to the world the signal that we are somebody else's disciples. Maybe we're the disciples of Jesus, the great entertainer. A Jesus who tells amazing stories that don't demand change. A Jesus who could write for you the best summer blockbuster movie of all time and people would flock to it and pay millions of dollars and eat tons of popcorn and leave the theater going, I'm the same person I was when I got here. 
if we respond with apathy, we, we could be sending signal that our Jesus, our master, our rabbi, is like that. He tells stories, but they're not meant to change us. Or maybe Jesus is not the great entertainer. Maybe we send a signal that he is the sort of academic theorist, right? I remember, um, so one of the dangers of having a PhD is people assume that this is who you are. You're the academic theorist. All great ideas, but no concern for practice. You live in the ivory tower and don't ever want to turn it into reality. So um, one of my first sermons at the first church that I pastored, I overheard one of the elders as I was walking out after the service, and he said, now in the past you were a teacher, but today you were preaching. Yeah, that was real encouraging. Is Jesus like that? Is Jesus just the teacher? If we don't love each other, if, if we choose the option of apathy toward one another, apathy toward Jesus, Jesus, thanks for telling us to love each other. Thanks for loving us first, but guess what? We don't care. We're just going to go about our merry way. We're just going to keep ignoring each other. We don't care. Then maybe we send the signal to the rest of the world that Jesus is just an idea man who really didn't care whether his ideas got turned into reality. Wait a minute. Jesus is, is God in human flesh. He literally turns love into reality. What's the likelihood that that kind of Jesus would talk to us about ideas without meaning that they get turned into flesh and blood expressions of love? How about Jesus, the Western individualist? This is the Jesus that many of us grew up with. This is the Jesus that many in our culture assume we mean unless we show them differently. Jesus, the Western individualist, is the kind of Jesus who would forge one-on-one -on -one relationships with every one of his disciples, but leave us completely disconnected from each other. So as long as I've got my personal private hotline to Jesus, I'm good. But that doesn't really join me to anybody else. Jesus doesn't do conference calls. Right? I got his number. We talk all the time. We text. But guess what? You and I don't text. Because Jesus connects us to him. He doesn't connect us to each other. That is not who Jesus is. Jesus, three times in John chapter 17, he's offering this one last prayer for his people before he dies. And he prays three times, Father, I'm praying that they may be one, even as you and I are one. Does the Jesus who wants us to be one with each other like that say, eh, I'll connect with you, but I don't really care whether you connect with each other. If apathy is our choice when we hear this commandment, then we're sending the signal to the world that we are the disciples of this Jesus who's just an individualist at the end of the day. And one of the dangers is we're sending a signal that Jesus is just a Westerner. He's only for Western peoples or those who grow up in Western civilization. Is that what we want? Is that who Jesus is? All right, one more danger. What if Jesus is a politician? What if Jesus will say anything to get our vote and he'll make commitments that he never intends to keep? 
What if he didn't really love us? He just wanted us to vote for him. And so he said, love one another as I have loved you. Fingers crossed behind my back because I don't mean any of this. It was just on the teleprompter that the Holy Spirit gave me. In John chapter 13, very first verse, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them all the way to the finish line, all the way to the most profound expression of love you could imagine. He loved them to the end. He loved them while they were not understanding what he was saying about washing their feet. He loved them when they all ran away after he was arrested. He loved them by going to the cross and laying down his life for their redemption. Jesus is not a politician who makes empty promises that he never intends to keep. If he says he loves us, he will love us to the end. Now, you've been hurt. If you've ever been part of the Christian community, you've been hurt by other Christians who have not loved you to the end. They have made promises that they have not kept. They have failed to love you as Jesus did. Our hope is not that we will get it right. Our hope is in the Savior who loves us to the end. It's because He loves us in that way that we can love one another. There's some practical ways that we can help all people know that we are the disciples of the real Jesus, this Jesus who loves us to the end. So here are some of the ways we talk about that around in town. The first is to say we want to be part of relationships that are characterized by warmth and safety and vulnerability. Warmth. Make other people know that you're glad they're here wherever you're here happens to be. When you get, get together with a, another group of Jesus followers, make it clear to all of them that you're really glad they're there and that they don't have to pretend to be someone they're not. It's okay to be honest. It's a safe place to be real. Second thing we talk about is the importance of small groups. This room symbolizes the importance of small groups today because... We're in this big gathering, 85 of us or so, but we can't really interact with us, with each other very much, right? We're, we're together, but there are ways in which we can't express our togetherness safely. Well, that's a great metaphor for why every church has to have smaller groups of people gathering. We have larger groups of people gathering for some purposes, but we have to have smaller groups men's groups, women's groups, community groups of both, getting together where all that warmth and safety and vulnerability can actually be practiced in some more tangible ways than a large setting makes possible. Why do we do that? 
Do we do it because somebody put out a code book about how to be church somewhere along the way and said small groups, small groups, small groups? Well, yeah, those code books are out there, training manuals, philosophy of ministry guidelines, but they all reflect just Jesus saying, love one another, love one another. There's certain ways you can love each other in big group settings and other ways that you just can't love each other unless you're with a smaller group. So let's do that. Let's get together in big groups. Let's get together in small numbers where we can love one another. And we want to care for each other in times of need. Pastor Tony Evans says that biblical love is the decision to compassionately pursue the well-being of another person. Compassion, like that of Jesus, doesn't see someone in need and walk on by. So there are an infinite number of ways that we could express our love for each other. These are a few that we try to focus on here at Intel, maybe you've forgotten that because of coronavirus fog, or maybe you've forgotten it because you have a bozo for a pastor, or maybe you've forgotten it because apathy is real. Why ever we might have forgotten it, let's remember it because we remember Jesus. Let's remember it so that the whole world can know we are his disciples. A famous man who lived around the year 200 A.D. in the country that today we would call Tunisia, northern Africa. His name was Tertullian. He was trying to make the case in his day to his neighbors that people should take Christianity seriously. And so he... Um, kind of reported some of the things that he heard people in his city saying about Christianity. And one of the things that he reported was this. See how they love one another. He looked at the Roman Empire of which he was a part and he said, it would be better summarized by saying, see how they hate one another. See how they look for excuses to kill one another. But the Christians see how they love one another. Now, we could say, well, good for Tertullian. You know, he was part of a great church full of perfect people who loved each other. But he wasn't. He followed the same Jesus you and I do. He was part of a church full of bozos like you and me people who don't know how to love each other, but who have been really changed by Jesus, who knows how to love us. He knows how to love us to the end. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. So you, should love one another. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you today because you don't speak empty words. And when you called us to love one another as you loved us, you were 
in that very moment, expressing love simply by existing in our world, having given up heavenly glory and come into this world of sorrow and suffering and hardship, taken on real human flesh, and you were just hours away from laying down your life for us. Lord, help us to love one another this week when apathy throws up its flag and says it would be a whole lot easier to ignore each other. May we hear your words instead and may we sense the power of your love for us so that we love one another. We pray in your name. Amen.